welcome to Shake It and Disturbed, everybody. I hope that the patrons are watching John and I because we start off flailing our arms every single time now, and it's really a sight to see. Welcome to Shake It and Disturbed. I am Darren Carp, a newly minted 35 year old Darren Carp. I'm here with John Thrasher, who's a very old, led oldly old. minted 37 year old. That's but, right. Uh, I'm like the I'm like the those weird pennies that are green. You know, like they used to be ooh. real shiny, and then they they turn green. You know what I love? A crushed penny. And my crushed mom knows this. My cool. mom bought me a crushed penny from Spain. Like <gasps> it was one of the gifts she brought back. She's wow. like, I know you love your crushed penny, and she's like, that cost me two euros. And I was like, my mother. Two, I was gonna say two euros and one ten. What is the Pence? No, what's the euro? What's this? What's the cent? It's like a cent. Is it yeah, cent? Like oh, cent? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, really butchered but, that one, John. Keep yeah, going. you really, you really butched it up here. <laughs> butched it on up. Um, but yeah, I love a crushed penny. But yes, thirty-five. Congratulations. I'm not going to do a post being like thirty-five and thriving. I, I, I why I, not? I, I, thirty-five I just, yeah. and alive. Yeah, live, laugh, love. Thirty alive. Uh, Thirty-five. I just something bitter and sarcastic really works well for me. So it'll That's be something true. like that. That's on brand for you, if nothing. Whatever else. I post, we're recording this right before my birthday. So just I this all could go out of the water and shit anyway yeah. on Wednesday. Who That's knows? True. But yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for all the birthday wishes because I'm sure I've gotten mm-hmm. one. Of course, John always forgets my birthday, so I'm just predicting no, now I he's don't. not gonna text me. On Wednesday, the that's is, a prediction. The thing is, I don't ever forget. It's that I you don't, don't care. ship you, don't you things until months and months later. Or if you remember last year, was last year the year I got you that Taco Bell game? Yeah, I and have brought it. it to you for at Christmas. But it was like last year, but it was like supposed to be like 2017 yeah, Christmas. So exactly. it's like it's confusing yeah. me. It's, but a, I, it's a lot of confusion. I yeah. have it. I think okay. that would have been in 2021 or 2022. That sounds I have right. It. That sounds right. All, all, all years are blending together in my head. But, but happy, happy birthday Memorial. to you. Thank you and happy Memorial Day to everyone. I hope yeah. everyone out there is celebrating, doing something fun. Um, I love Memorial Day. Can I tell well, you? Well, it's the start of summer. Oh, God. It's and I know the, the start of summer feeling. is until the end of June. Don't at me on this. But, like, it is the start of summer. <laughs> no, like, it is. Memorial Day is the start of summer. Memorial the Labor is, Day like is it summer. It. Yeah. It's Those are the buttons that we yeah. need to pay attention to. And, like... It's starting to be good weather. It's well into the 70s every single mm-hmm. day. I don't have to worry about jackets as much. And it's yeah, nice. It's true. Although it is a little mild here where I am in Maryland. Can I just say Memorial Day in New York City is really interesting because 90% of the people that live in New York and can do it leave on Memorial Day. So if you're in the city on Memorial Day, it's usually a little more ghost town than usual. And it's nice. There's I not like a lot that. of overcrowded. The, well, the New York subways, City is like... Everyone yeah. goes to the Hamptons. That's what I'm saying. Amazing. Everyone leaves. Yeah, amazing. it's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, well, Darren, today's episode is actually not in New York. It's actually in New Orleans. Which we've been to and we love for CrimeCon on like That's right. 2019. Yeah, 2019. Do you remember the night we went out uh, and got food? And I think one of us may have had something to smoke or drink. Yeah, remember that? It wasn't I have me. pictures. I have yeah. yes. I have pictures. It wasn't Can I me. post? How about this? Can I post a picture of that out at, with your approval from that night in our Patreon group as a tease for what's to come to this episode? Okay. Yes. So we're, we're Just recording send it this to me for approvals. for approval. Okay. Yes. All right. By the time you guys have heard this, you've already seen it if you're a Patreon member. But um. Yeah, we're going to tease it in the Patreon. We're in the live approval process right now. Live approval. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the show. A little uh, extra something for you. But anyway, 
Uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, is one of the most visited cities in New York or, or in the United States. Mm-hmm. In New York City, well, who's high? Who's who's yeah, in New Exactly, people. Um, you heard it here first. Famous for its Mardi Gras celebration, of course, and the historical jazz clubs. People from all over the world travel to experience, you know, the unique culture and spirit that New Orleans has to offer. I remember one of my first big band trips in high school was to New Orleans. Wow. Yeah, we got to perform at the Sugar Bowl, which was really amazing. We got to be out on the field with my marching band and... You know, That's when you're fun. Yeah, when you're in tenth grade or whatever year that was, it's like such a thrill. Cause like I hadn't really traveled much in my life at that point. And then, you know, we all went to to New Orleans with your friends and got to be on on uh on the field during the sugar bowl. No, that's a really big cool. deal. That's yeah, a big it's really deal. Cool. But anyway, um, as you might expect, despite all of the fun that does happen there, there's a constant sort of party atmosphere that happens. Um, and it's not without danger, you know, a lot of as great as Mardi Gras is and as great as those times are there, you know, you do have to be careful. Yeah. Um, the big easy, as it's called, has had its fair share of serial killers and tragedies. I know we've done a couple on this show that I can remember, um, all mixed into its vibrant history. And while some have made quite a spectacle of themselves, such as the infamous axe murderer of new Orleans from the 1920s, there are others who almost seamlessly blend in with the crowd, allowing them to go undetected for years. That was exactly the case in the mid-90s when the bodies of over 25 women began appearing Mm. in various canals and rivers surrounding the city. I mean, 25 bodies, like, you know, if I'm thinking about New York, like, I'm sure the Hudson has 25 bodies in it right now, uh, as well as (laughs) more that we don't know. But, like, especially for New Orleans being a little bit smaller. yeah. Finding bodies in like the certain time, just all, yeah. all women 25 is very eerie. Very eerie. And to your point too, you know, New York City with a much larger uh, amount of people. What's right. the name? What's that word? What's Population. Of, population. Density. Yeah. Yeah. More My people brain. things. More, the more people that you live know, in the when city. they got people, when what's that mean? What's it called when they've got people? Okay. I'm going to try to re refocus here. This very ser- this is actually very uh, tragic, so I shouldn't make fun of it. But no, my point was with more people. Yes, of there course, will you're be have more. more. Yeah, yeah, with a higher population. So anyway, the majority of these women, sadly, were black women between the ages of 17 and 42, and virtually all of them were sex workers. The victims shared a similar fate. Most of them had been strangled, while some had also received severe beatings. Oh, God. And tragically, you know, drugs were often found in their bloodstreams as well. Now, these slew of murders would come to be known as the Storyville Slayings, which is also the title of this week's episode. Police were at a loss as to whether the killings were done at the hands of several different people, or even more terrifyingly, in a sense, the work of maybe a single serial killer. Yeah. So on August 13th, 1997, a popular late night talk show known as the Howard Stern Show. You're a big fan. I'm a huge fan. I've listened. I wasn't listening in 1997, but I'm a huge fan now. Would um, receive an, 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 on, an ominous call, excuse me, from a viewer. Now, for those who don't know Howard Stern Show, there was the Howard Stern television show that ran on E! back in the day. God, which was that was back in the that E crazy. days, man. That's back. crazy. And like it was basically a filmed version of his radio show. So like his radio show, though, has been very popular since the late 70s, I believe. So like he's, you know, he's the 
He's the interviewer. He's, uh, he's the, the interviewer. interviewer. He's the shock jock back in the day. I mean, he's rebranded himself since. But anyway, so just for anyone who might be thinking of the the television show, he actually is a radio host that had a television show. Anyway, so this person calls in. It's a man calling himself Clay. He calls in and informs Howard that he has murdered over 12 sex workers in the New Orleans area. He, the, uh, this caller calls them prostitutes, by the way. Um, going into great detail, in fact, about how he, how and where he committed the crimes. And while this wasn't a new occurrence for the Howard Stern show, because people make weird things like, you know, weird conversation pieces on on air all the time, it's a shocking radio show, the statements he made grabbed the attention of the FBI. The descriptions given had actually matched a distinct profile that they had been studying while trying to catch this infamous Storyville Slayer. The man on the other end of the phone is believed to be, at this point, Russell Elwood. Now, obviously, Howard Stern has a lot more experience than I do, but I'm not really confident how he would take, even though it's a radio call and show, even though it's a shock jock, even though he's asking yeah. girls, like, how big are your boobs? And, like, how often yeah. did you have fuck this guy? Like, you know, it's obviously meant to, like, be shocking. And it's obviously yeah, meant yeah. to, like, get into the nitty gritty. And, like, I think when you go on Howard Stern's show, you know that, you know? So yeah. it's not like he's taking advantage of things. He's just... He's yeah. doing it in his way. And but if someone called in for that, it's like, do you take that seriously? Do you report that? I mean, obviously it's over the airwaves. So I guess the FBI could hear or yeah. something. I just don't know how I would handle it as like a radio show host. I kind of need to like, I wonder if there's a recording of that. Well, I was just gonna say I should look and see if there's a recording. My hunch is they've probably tried to bury it because I imagine. You know. Well, but, why don't you look that up while I take this next piece too? Yeah, just but to I see. Wanna, yeah, I just want to add too, you know, I've even had thoughts about this. Darren, during our live shows over the last several years, I mean, you know, we're at CrimeCon, you know, I don't know if you remember, speaking of New Orleans, our CrimeCon New Orleans panel, we talked about the Chris Watts case at that, yeah. I believe that was CrimeCon New Orleans. And I just remember the room was so, 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 so packed. And I kept thinking to myself, what if somebody, you know, because we usually guys, you guys listening, Darren and I would typically do a Q&A session at the end of our panels. And I'm like, what if somebody gets up there and just says, what's a great way to bury a body? Because I know somebody who one time buried, right. killed yeah. somebody, a neighbor. And I'm like, I don't want those questions. But anyway, keep going here. We're, we're going to get into I want details. those questions. You I've do. Darren will answer thoughts. them. That's true. Well, Russell Elwood was born in 1951. And not too much is known for certain about his early life. A lot of it is a little bit of conjecture. But it's believed that he was originally from Massillon, Ohio where he had some run-ins with the law in regards to possessing drugs and probation violations. Okay. Throughout his rough-and-tumble type of lifestyle, his mother continued to offer support where she could, usually with money. And Russell just didn't have a lot of close, close friends or relationships. And I do think that this is a huge pivotal point in people growing up of just like being able to relate to other Absolutely. people. It's a good kind of character. Development, yeah. Development, Yeah. His main focus seemed to be on get-rich-quick schemes that never fully panned out the way he had planned, landing him time and time again in financial hardship. This is why I really don't like the lottery, and this is why a lot of people who get the lottery end up being poor and losing their money afterwards. And I just yeah. I just don't like the lottery at all. I just feel like it just takes advantage of – honestly, like rich people are not going for the lottery. It's usually people yeah. who don't make a lot yeah. of money because they want this get rich quick and it just mm -hmm. causes them to like spend more money. It's like sometimes when I look at casinos, sometimes like that, but yeah, 100%. again, it's all voluntary. So that's okay. He moved to new Orleans in 1968 as a way to escape his past and find a fresh start. But 
that was not in the cards for him. His mother had gifted him $15,000 to start a new life. Mom, if you're listening. Um, But instead, (laughs) he invested all of it in penny stocks. And this speaking just seems, of uh, pennies, you know, right. It's just smash a, pennies. not the smartest move in the world. And he was soon enough just back to having no money and no regular income. He actually was released after he was released. He began searching for work. OK. Yeah. And Russell's passion was photography. So he can begin picking up some freelance work here and there. But at this time, he was an active addiction, which proved to be a major obstacle for maintaining steady work, sure, as we yeah. would imagine. Yeah. He sold his camera for drugs, and eventually he found himself to be homeless Mm. or houseless. A lot of people like prefer that term. And Russell's mother helped him purchase a taxi cab as a way for him to make money, as well as provide some form of shelter when he was unable to afford a night at one of the local hostels. So his mom seems to have some means enough to help him, but not enough necessarily to take him in or just doesn't want to take him in or feels that might be bad for him. We don't know. Well, especially if he is an addict, you know, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to bring in your adult son into your home, you know, but then again, he's homeless or houseless. So it's like, you know, where's the line there? That's always a struggle. And every family that has somebody who's addicted, it's hard to really find the boundaries, you know? No, and I know this from firsthand experience. It's really, it's very, very, very difficult because it's your kid. You know, yeah, and so you totally. want to give them everything, but you don't want to enable them to mm-hmm. go down this bad road. It's exactly. very hard. Yeah. Well, 30-year-old Cheryl Lewis was Russell's first convic- confirmed victim, excuse me. And although he claimed to have killed many, many more and would be a prime suspect in the story of the slayings, uh, started as early as 1991. Cheryl was working as a sex worker in New Orleans, Red District, and was an active drug user. She had been last seen by her family on January 31st. 1993, and when her mother Lillian Lewis had not from heard from her by February 2nd, okay, three days later, she became concerned and reported her missing. Yeah. By the way, I while you were uh, talking through some of that, I did look on YouTube, and we'll put a link in the show notes. the The interview with Howard Stern is on YouTube, and it has 17 million views. So it sounds like it's very interesting. Can you chat um, it to me right yeah, now? Because yeah, I'm going to watch it right after this. I yeah, forgot yeah. to watch it beforehand. Yeah, I will. Um, <clears throat> so Cheryl's whereabouts would continue to be a mystery until the body of a young black woman was discovered on February 21st, face down in a canal off of the Louisiana highway. Now, fingerprints confirmed Lillian's worst fear. It was Cheryl. The autopsy discovered that Cheryl's drug of choice, cocaine, was present in her system. However, it was not enough to result in her untimely death. The coroner further concluded that Cheryl was unconscious when she was placed in the water. So lots of foul play happening here. Yeah. And and not at her own expense, of course. Like she wasn't she wasn't the one that kind of did this in for herself. Um, if she had been so intoxicated that she were to pass out and fall in, of course, it is unlikely that she would have been able to make it that far into the bayou in the first place. Right. So this conclusion meant, as we were just saying, that she had mostly, most likely been placed there by someone else. And it was determined that she was killed anywhere between February 1st and February 3rd, leaving her body out for nearly three weeks. This allowed for significant decomposition and potentially important evidence being contaminated, by the way, in the ele- by the elements. Sure. 
In the following investigation, three separate witnesses would come forward and claim that they saw Cheryl get in the cab the last time they saw her. Wow, okay. And remember, he had a taxi cab. Exactly. so. So police immediately began suspecting foul play. And those beliefs were validated the next day when yet another body was discovered less than a fifth of a mile away. So that's right there. That's right there next. I mean, a fifth of a mile is nothing. You can throw a rock really that far. Yeah. Uh, Dolores Mack, age 42, was found dead among uh, almost completely submerged in the canal. It's unknown when exactly that she had gone missing as she didn't have any close friends or family to really keep tabs on her, which is sad. More witnesses would come forward saying that they saw Dolores arguing with a man before being dragged into a cab. Now, like Cheryl, Dolores was drugged, strangled, and left face down in the canal. So really tragic details here. I'm so curious to see how this plays out because there's so many scenarios in my mind of like, did he think he was some like amazing vigilante, like ridding the world of sex workers? Was he frustrated with women? You know, was it a drug addiction thing? Was he, did he have mental illness? Like, there's kind or of a lot of going or all of that. And <laughs> yeah. like, you know, she was drugged and strangled. Was she abused? Was she raped? Right. I guess it's hard to say why face down, you know, obviously he's not chopping them up. So they're going right. to be identifiable in that way. But almost exactly one year later on a dark road in the middle of the night, two off duty police officers spotted a taxi cab pulled over. They immediately recognized the location. It was extremely close to where the bodies of Cheryl and Dolores had been found. And remember, multiple witnesses are talking about a taxi cab here. So yeah, it's and almost I, a perfect storm. And you'd almost also imagine that, you know, with all this going on, that the police have to be more like mo- have to be monitoring more often this area, right? At least you would hope so. Yeah. I mean, who knows? In the 90s, it's really anything goes in in a lot of big cities at that point. But you would hope that they're looking for somebody. Inside the dark car sat a man who was partially naked and appeared to be masturbating. When asked, he told the officers he had pulled over to change his oil and his brake pad, as, you know, your penis is the only thing that can do that. (laughs) If I know cars, if I know cars. This is why you're such a great mechanic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And and straight. I have a lot of familiarity with the penis situation. Totally. You do. Yeah. And um, he wanted to do it somewhere remote so that he wouldn't get caught dumping the oil. I love how this is his excuse for like some masturbating. Yeah. Men, you know, uh, they're changing the oil. It's like nothing is going to give you a hard on like changing the oil of your own car. (laughs) My God. Well, the man then handed over his license and agreed to allow them to search his car. Mm -hmm. Inside the car, there were no flashlights or any tools required to do the work the driver was claiming to do. And on the license read a name that was not unfamiliar to the police. This guy seems to just be okay with giving it up. Maybe he thinks the police are stupid or maybe he thinks they don't know how to kind of. Well, I don't know if you need equipment for changing your oil. I don't know anything, but changing a brake pad feels yeah. like it would require some tools. You would think so, but also to your point about why is he doing all this? You know, when you've killed at least a couple people at this point, you probably the think hubris. you can get away with anything. Yeah, because I feel like we've heard that so much from people that have been caught. They're like, "Oh, I thought I could get away with it," you know, or like that's how he got his little rocks off yeah. by getting away with it. Exactly. You know, and kind of like hiding in plain sight. Well, obviously, he hands over his ID, and it was none other than Russell Elwood. On the night when Russell was found parked near the dumping ground, it was decided he should be taken in for questioning. This is a far cry from our cover our case last week that the police literally did absolutely fucking nothing yeah, right. to find the, you know, they for were just like, yeah, months. the kid's drowned. Yeah, the kid's yeah. drowned. Don't worry about it. Uh, and then eight months later, oh, by the way, no, they didn't. Right. 
Okay. And especially considering these are minority women and sex mm-hmm, workers. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm shocked the police would even give a shit about yeah, this, true. but they do. Well, it was exactly almost, it was almost exactly one year since the murders. And it's not uncommon for serial killers to kind of return to the scene of the crime to try and relive their experience, kind of like a trophy. It is a little bit of a, of a masturbatory yeah. type of thing, whether for your mind or whether physically. So this does relate. This is why people do take tokens, underwear, a picture, a lock of hair, things right, like that. Right, right, right. Very Dexter, except not in the good way. Yeah, right. And unfortunately, with no direct evidence connecting Russell to the murders, detectives literally had no choice but to let him go. Now, 90s too, by the way, DNA, not quite where it is today. You know, like you could probably And also, maybe there's it. no DNA. Yeah, you strangle the girls, no. they're in the water. Decomposing, I, right. I don't know how DNA kind of keeps on that. Yeah, and so the suspicious nature of this encounter did not go unnoticed, however. The location, the cab, the anniversary, the poor, piss poor excuse mm-hmm. for pulling over, and the fact that he was partaking in such lewd conduct didn't sit well with detectives. Their sus meters were up. The sussy meter was <laughs> yeah, going yeah. up here. Yeah. This earned Russell a permanent spot on the suspect list for the Storyville Slayer. Cheryl and Dolores were only two of over 25 women who would be found in such a manner. So with the rising amount of similar crimes, the FBI became involved in 1995, which, you know, they're getting involved kind of early, I think, for this yeah. investigation. For the yeah. FBI to be involved is pretty big. Yeah. An FBI task force was assigned the entirety of... Uh, of the Storyville slayings, while a local task force was assigned to focus specifically on Russell, which was led by wow. Lieutenant Sue Rushing. And following his run-in with the police at the crime scene, Russell decided to move to Florida to take care his Florida to take care uh-huh. of his elderly father. Yeah. Well, his solace was short-lived because in 1996, the FBI task force traveled out to talk with him in, in his father's home. Now, although Russell was very collected and cooperative, something he said struck the detectives as especially odd. He told them that he had always dreamed of being interviewed by this particular task force, Darren, as if it were some sort of accomplishment. You kind of nailed it earlier when you were saying, you know, like what they like to get away, what can they get away with? That's what they love so much about these crimes, these heinous crimes. Russell confessed that he had frequently visited black sex workers throughout his life and would often partake in drugs such as crack, cocaine, heroin, and LSD. Well, so far, you're really giving it away. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, this is literally, you're you're fitting the perfect profile here. Yeah, exactly. Um, He had even admitted to visiting the spots where the bodies had been found, and yet he continued to claim his innocence. So he was saying, hey, I was there. These are the type of people I like to hang out with. But by the way... I'm innocent. Nothing to see here. Well, despite despite Russell's increasingly odd behavior, there was still, even after all this, no physical evidence proving that he was responsible. Several months later, Russell moved yet again to work a well-paying job that had been offered to him by his brother. Wow, that's big. Yeah. And while in Florida, Russell was, I mean, to go from homeless to this, that's pretty impressive, right? I, well, I think so. Or houseless, excuse me, whichever yeah. the, the, the term is. But while in Florida, Russell was arrested after buying a small amount of cocaine from an undercover cop. Now, during his most recent stay in jail, he'd continue to raise eyebrows with his statements. For example, an inmate would come forth saying that Russell loved to talk about how much he enjoyed having sex with people on drugs. Okay, well, I mean, that's most people. That's, that's most people. He said he loved... Uh, 
the control he had over their bodies when someone was basically completely unconscious. So it's like, it's not just drugs. It's like when someone is so completely lost in, in their, what is it? Their high, I guess that they have no control. I mean, very rapey and weird. Yeah, uh, very, very. Yeah. Another witness claimed that she had gotten in Russell's car to conduct business. And he said to her, quote, you know what I do to bitches like you? I kill them. End quote. Now, certainly distur- a disturbing accusation, but still, it's not enough to really pin him indefinitely. It sounds like they have so many pieces of the puzzle, but they just they just don't have that one last piece that could really put him away. After his time was served, he moved in with other relatives out in his home state of Ohio. Wherever Russell went, the task force, <laughs> the FBI task force, though, was not far behind. So... You know, he's sort of on the run a little bit. I'm impressed that somebody with very little resources can move around this much, to be he honest. Got with you. High, he got a high, well, a well paying job. And well, a well paying yeah. job with his brother. So it's like yeah. his family is there for support. This is not really what we've heard about with other serial killers. Like, yeah. Again, we don't know a lot about his younger life. So, like, it's we true. don't know what he kind of, we can only kind of see these things later on. And so I don't want to make assumptions, but it is a little bit interesting because normally we'll, See abuse, abandonment, and we're not really seeing that here. Well, and also we're hearing about what sounds like financial stability, right? Like or starting to be. Yeah. Well, dad's in Florida. I mean, with his family, his dad's in Florida with a house. His mom had enough money to buy him a car, and his brother has some sort of leverage in his own company or wherever he's working to hire him for a well-paying job. So yeah, the picture is that he's sort of the oddball of the family doing weird, creepy things. Well, a witness had claimed that she had met Russell in New Orleans, and he had invited her to go for a walk along the highway to smoke crack and see a surprise. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm passing. I would it's say a hard if, pass. You asked me to do this for my birthday, and I said hard pass, I was just going to say, like, if even one of my best friends like was like, hey, let's walk along the highway. I have a surprise for you. I'd probably be like, no. Yeah, I'd probably be that. like, just tell me it now. No, tell me and- it now. There's no surprise. According to that witness, the surprise, as I'm sure you can imagine, mm-hmm. was a truly morbid one. She claimed that Russell led her directly to the bodies of two women who were face down in the canals. Imagine, like, seeing that. Like, you know. I've always worried about this because, like, I was just recently talking about on NMR. I, I do a lot of hiking. I'm out biking. I'm out in the wilderness right. a lot. And I'm always like, oh, God, what if I ever – how would I act if I ever saw something like that? I think it Did would you be ever really see the movie lot. Stand By Me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's like when they, exactly. they go on the hunt for the dead body. And like, that was kind of my first, I think yeah. about that movie kind of a lot. And like yeah. our fascination with death. Yeah. Simply because totally. we're also scared of it. And it's just like very creepy. And shout out to our friend, Jerry O'Connell from Stand oh, By Me. You know, I love Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, he's Jerry great. O'Connell. When this information, I didn't actually didn't know where you were going there. And then I was like, wait, I do know Jerry <laughs> O'Connell. That's so You weird. do. You do. He's friend. He likes our Facebooks and, and Instagram stuff. I noticed everyone. I love him. He's well, great. When this information came to light, the task force once again traveled out to meet with Russell. And in February of 1998, Russell was arrested for failing to appear in court for a traffic violation and was sentenced to 120 days in jail. So that's three months. No, sorry. That's four months. Four months. Yeah, which seems like, I mean, again, it's 1998, but like that feels like kind of a long sentence for a traffic violation. And but not he failed to in appear court. in court. So it yeah. could have been like obstruction of justice or whatever that could, could have been. Be, I, don't, sure. I don't know. Maybe. Well, it was during this time that he was officially charged with the second degree murders of mm. Cheryl and Dolores. 
And by now, he was actually a suspect in 15 other murders as well. He was questioned intensely by Lieutenant Sue Rushing for days on end until he finally, he just snapped and gave them exactly what they wanted. And without giving a name or a description, Russell admitted to dumping the body of a woman in the canal after he had strangled her. This admission would not go as far as the task force hoped, however, as his statement would later be recanted. Russell told the police that the only reason he confessed was to make the interrogation stop so he could get to his lawyer, Ross. Scotia? Scotia? Scotia. Listen, I mean, with the information that we know so far, sounds like it's him, right? But at the same time, I mean, we've heard so many times over the last several years about these coerced confessions from people that are otherwise innocent. So it's kind of hard. But at the same time, like, he told police the only reason he confessed was to make the interrogation stop. A, don't say anything yeah. and just say, I want my lawyer. Yeah, exactly. There's that too. Maybe he just does not have a really good dealing some, with the law. Or yeah. Something. I mean, it does sound like there's some sort of like competence, competency issues here with this person. Maybe. Well, Maybe. this lawyer, Ross, had first defended Russell nearly 30 years ago for a marijuana charge, Darren, back when marijuana charges. You know, Worth you needed thing. a lawyer. Well, sometimes yeah. they still thing, are, but you. it's like you. you know, but maybe you don't. So now. Yeah, you may, hopefully don't need a lawyer in the same way, but sometimes you do. Anyway, the stakes uh, at this time were much higher, but Scotia swiftly ran to his defense. He argued that the interrogation had been nothing but psychological torture, and that anything Russell had said should be thrown out as it jeopardized his right to a fair and equal trial. I mean. <sighs> That's a tough one, right? Because I feel like if if you're asking questions and you're not and you're the person being questioned and you're not asking for a lawyer and you're just saying, you know, everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Like if you that's read just the basics. Miranda rights yeah. and they're not arguing he wasn't read his Miranda rights. So right, right, right. if you're reading that psychological torture, you know, I'm thinking of Brandon Dassey and how to right, make and right, uh, right. making of a murderer, that would take a lot he's also an adult he's not a child um that doesn't mean that it didn't happen but thrown out doesn't make any sense because he could have said like i just want my lawyer totally and this blunder resulted in a civil rights lawsuit against lieutenant rushing the leader of the task force as well as a former investigation in excuse me a formal investigation into the lieutenant The waters were becoming muddier and muddier as police continued to fail to find any hard evidence against Russell. That's not looking good. No. Russell's trial began in June 1998, years and years later, where numerous of the the witnesses would come forward and take the stand, including several of his fellow inmates. Remember, we were saying they were sort of telling on him, as well as sex workers from the New Orleans area who claimed they had been threatened or even assaulted by Russell. One of those witnesses was a former sex worker named Diane Gilliam. According to Diane, she had been dating Russell on and off for almost a decade. On the stand, Diane told a particularly chilling story from her early days in their relationship. According to Diane's testimony, Russell beat her until she was unconscious one day while the two were in in his car. When she awoke, she was lying in the middle of the woods in a pool of her own blood. 
terrified and unsure about where she was, she got up and began ranning until she found the nearby town. I mean, can you imagine? Like, Did you just say ranning? Because that's really cool. I'm sorry. Did I say that? Began running. I think I was doing began and running I know, together. Which was, it was cute, though, because you're like, began ranning. And began I was like, ranning oh, until began she ranning. Oh uh, began Fucking running. terrifying. You kidding? Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Well, Diane never reported the incident because she possessed her own criminal record and made her living as a sex worker, which is really the tragic cycle about all this stuff is people don't feel compelled to come forward because they it puts other parts of their life at risk. You know, she feared she wouldn't be believed and that reporting the incident would be, you know, only put her in more danger with Russell because if it got oh. out... All you know. the more reason to legalize sex work uh, in the industry and make it legitimate and make it safe and make yeah. it so they are protected citizens because they are. And in now, some states that is happening, but let's get it happening everywhere, you know? Now, I agree. Now, Janie Stokes, another former sex worker, took the stand and shared a similar story. According to Janie, Russell took her out to lunch one day and then invited her back to his house to partake in some drugs. After they were both intoxicated, Russell began beating her profusely. And thankfully, she was able to escape, but much like Diane, she feared the repercussions and chose not to report anything. In total, over 10 witnesses took the stand, either sharing their own experiences of violence at the hands of Russell or to share stories he had told them about the various murders. This guy is not keeping quiet. Yeah. He's not subtle. And during the trial, it was suggested by Russell's lawyers that a polygraph test be conducted on the head of the special task unit, Lieutenant Rushing. Other task force members had raised concerns against the validity of his work and accused Lieutenant Rushing of destroying exculpatory evidence. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Lieutenant Rushing was also accused of coaching the witness, Sharon Jones, who allegedly said Russell had, Russell had shown her the bodies. Now, Ross, what were we saying? Scaccia? Scaccia. 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 Claimed he had provided receipts to the task force from Russell at the time of the incident with Sharon, which would have placed him in Ohio at the time. All of Russell's records remain intact, except for an unexplained two-week gap. Now, when these questions came up on the polygraph, Lieutenant Rushing was, Rushing was unable to answer, which resulted in the charges for Dolores's murder to be dropped due to lack of evidence. Hmm. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Yeah. One of Russell's lawyers would quote, our allegation for months has said she was coached and given gifts in order to give that testimony. The blind, bottom line is that their entire case is based on the testimony of jailhouse snitches. Mm. The jury did find enough evidence to convict Russell of the murder of Cheryl, which earned him a life sentence without parole. Today, it is believed that Russell is one of as many as four culprits in the Storyville slings. Yeah, I mean, this one's interesting because it really, the evidence, you know, while everything points to him, not enough to convict. And I think this is a good example. Obviously, it was enough to convict of Cheryl. Mm -hmm. I think this is a good example of needing beyond a reasonable doubt evidence absolutely. and making sure that everyone gets a free and fair trial. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because that can muddy up everything. Yeah. And honestly, in the 90s, I don't know. I just have this this like vision in my head of like, you know, police departments in the 90s. What were they up to? You know, they're not always. They, it always seems sussy, still, like the wire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they're still sussy to this day. So imagine what they were doing in the 90s, like before the Internet and before cameras and, you know, body well, cameras. And, I, and, and I want people to know because I'm not like an ACAB person, which is stands for all cops or bastards. It's right. I, there are good cops out there. Of there course. are good people who are willing to lay their heart and life and family on the line to protect our rights. And for that, I'm very grateful. Unfortunately, it's like the bad apples in something kind of just infect yeah. everywhere and it affects everyone. And so 
I certainly don't want to make it seem like every cop would do this, but it is a little surprising that, and it's not, I mean, it's not unsurprising that the cops might muck this up and the lawyers might muck this up. Yeah. Especially when it comes to sex workers, that's more specifically what I was pointing to, because I just feel like even to this day, as you were sort of touching on earlier, Darren, it's like police departments think of sex workers and and the homeless and addicts as less than. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just like a de- detriment to our society, exactly. and they're not. They're human beings. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Well, let us know what you guys think. Um, tag us on social media, at Carpe Darren, at Jay Thrasher. Of course, our Facebook fan group. And, of course, Patreon. You can always mm-hmm. comment on our Patreon if you are part of our Patreon. And let's get to some fun listener shout-outs. Well, that's right. Speaking of Patreon, on our Patreon-exclusive NMR number 38, Darren, other people were saying, as you might, as a quick recap – uh, started that episode and the full episode last week with me having hiccups. Yes. That went away you- and then came back in the middle of the recording. Um, but I wanted to mention how long that, did they last the second time, by the way? Well, they went away like right after we got done recording. And then later that night, if you remember, I texted you, I was like, these fucking hiccups are back. Yeah. Um, but other people were saying that their hiccups uh hurt, Darren, just like you had mentioned, which I have never felt pain with hiccups, but I I was like, maybe Darren's the only one, but she's you're not. Our longtime loyal patron, Mitts, we all love Mitts, said, quote, I hate getting the hiccups because when I get them, it's painful for me. I rarely get them, but when I do, I just pour myself a cup of ice cold water and drink it while I hold my breath. Well, more like don't breathe through your nose, if that makes sense. I do it for as long as I'm able to, and it works every time. Um, and then Paula, Darren, also gave me a link about drinking water upside down. I told you to do that. Which you did tell me to do, and that she said that works as well. Did you I get tr- the straw? Did you get the hiccup straw? I didn't buy it yet. I should do it because that was so unbelievably annoying and ruined that recording day. Like, I just feel like we didn't en- ever end up, uh, ever end that recording. Um, but it's funny. My friend Carla also texted me today, and she was like, by the way, did you buy that uh, that hiccup straw that Darren was telling you about? So I clearly am a hiccup influencer now because of Well, you. you should get it. It's yeah. really great. It's really but great. I did drink the water upside down, like you said, but I was drinking it out of a straw. So maybe no, that. Sweetie, didn't... No, that's not. No, that didn't work. You have to that's drink it. That's not what normal. you do. All right. So Paul and I, once again, the <laughs> smartest women here, but Sarah yeah. in our Facebook group posted a picture of her gas price. Gas mm-hmm. price, which was nineteen dollars and ninety cents, nineteen ninety, and said, "Topped mm-hmm. off my tank before a road trip." Yes, I read this in John's <laughs> voice. So, nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety is in uh, John's voice. Pretty cheap to fill your gas for. Yeah, nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety dollars. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I know you're driving an electric vehicle now, but yeah, I don't know yeah. how full or not full it was, but like. It seems more manageable. Like I, I filled my tank before for like a hundred and ten dollars. I know. So. I was just gonna say, people. It depends on how big your tank is, too. But yeah, I mean, nineteen dollars. Stop hitting on me. Nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety is a good one. Listen, people in that chat or people in that thread were like, "I wish that uh, we could find that audio again." So I'm looking for it, and if I have it in my files, I'll share it with you. But that There's was from our other show. Gotta be a way to find it. You know what? I bet Megan might have it because she was editing our shows at that point. So she might have it. She might have it. Or like the first mention of it in maybe like our old Facebook group yeah, or something. Yeah, I'm sure we can pinpoint find it. the, the yeah. day. But yeah, we'll find it. We'll we'll bring it back for you guys. But nonetheless, join us on Patreon where we can get all where you guys can get all kinds of bonus content, including 
our ad-free episodes in video form. That's right. You can see every single full episode. Darren's making a, uh, a face for those of you who are watching on the video. Yep. Um, you can get every single full episode recording right there on Patreon in video form. And you know what? A lot of people are watching them. I get where you get comments and I get DMs about the videos, different faces, different things I do. So insults thrown our way, of, yeah, course, of course, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we have to thank our fearless leader, I, I'd like to say, Megan. So one, two, three. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Megan. We need to get we Megan back you. on the show. It's been a while. And she needs Let's to do one back. of these to start. Yeah, the we need her podcast. to flail. We need her to we need the flail, otherwise we can't. We simply cannot work under these conditions. No, that's true. But uh, guys, thank you for the birthday wishes. I hope you're enjoying your Memorial Day weekend and check your freshies. We love you. We'll see you next week for a new episode. Bye. Bye.